As David said, we're going to be hearing the story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, which can be found in John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And to it is that ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Amen. So, 
we have been working through John's Gospel. And here we are at chapter 4 and this story. And it starts with Jesus and his friends going up through Samaria. And that's um, the name given to the bit of land uh, in the, the north and Judea to the south. But it's a strange thing to do. They didn't get on, the Jews and the Samaritans. They weren't good neighbors. They didn't make good friends. Didn't work. So they find themselves going to a place that they didn't really understand why Jesus was taking them there. Sometimes a newspaper or a magazine runs a feature What's wrong with this picture? And it's not that it's a bad picture. It's just that there's something in it that kind of doesn't make sense. And that's what John's doing here in this story. He's saying, you know, here's here's the story, but actually there are things in it that just don't quite make sense. Jesus was already known as a holy man. And so for him to enter into conversation with this woman on her own, that was just kind of weird. That didn't happen in those days, particularly uh, holy people. They didn't associate with, with or, or be um, alone with, with people who were not close family members. So that's the first thing that was a bit odd for John. Secondly, there's a, a couple of hundred years of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so he writes, they did not associate Really? (laughs) Do you know? There's an understatement. They hated each other. They did not associate. Terribly, terribly correct. Thirdly, historically people, as I said earlier, have assumed that this woman is of really dubious character. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe that's why she was there at that point in the day. Maybe not. But what we do know is that despite all of that, Jesus engages this woman in conversation. But it's a a, a kind of strange conversation. It's a kind of teasing, double-meaning kind of conversation. And again, that's typical of the way John writes stuff. When you read the gospel, again and again, John shows Jesus talking to people and they don't understand what he's talking about. Last chapter, we had Nicodemus who's told, you must be born again. Well, can you just imagine, how am I going to get back in there? (laughs) It's not going to work. Jesus is talking on a heavenly level, and they're thinking on an earthly level. Jesus, when asking for a drink, tells the woman that actually she should have asked him for one. Of course, she thinks in the ordinary earthly sense, and that would never have happened. She would never have done that. It wasn't right to do that. But he's talking about something different. The clue that he means something different is found in that phrase, living water. I will give you living water. It's a phrase that people use for what we call running water. Isn't it great in the heat of the day to be at a river? And you can go and you can stick your feet in the water and you can, if you're lucky, you can maybe watch fish or catch fish or swim in the river. It's great running water. It's great. Jesus, of course, isn't referring to physical water at all, whether it's still or moving. He's referring to the new life that he offers to all of us. And this conversation shows that anyone, anyone at all, no matter their gender, their geography, their racial or moral background, anyone is welcome to receive 
the life that Jesus offers. And he's talking about this spiritual thing. Not only will the, the water that he offers quench your thirst so that you'll never be thirsty again, it will become a spring inside you, itself bubbling up, refreshing you and others with the life that comes through him by the Holy Spirit. He comes back to that later in the, in the book in chapter 7. But the woman doesn't really get what Jesus is talking about. However, she is interested. Her interest is stimulated and she wants to know more. But of course, as everyone who starts to take Jesus seriously finds, she's in for a bit of a shock. He has living water to offer her. But when you start to drink it, it changes every area of your life. Often it's when people bring their lives into the light of Jesus that things begin to come clear. A surrounding culture tries to tell us that everything is okay. By subtle and not so subtle ways, they suggest the world is just as it is. Just take it as it is. Everything's fine. It's all okay. It's all good. You don't just go with the flow. You know, all of that. But what the gospel does is to shine a light onto that, to kickstart the brain, to see things differently. Often when people are introduced to Jesus, the reaction is just like this woman here. She was intrigued by Jesus and his offer of living water. So intrigued, in fact, that she asked to have some. Not realizing that if you take Jesus up on his offer of running, pure, living water bubbling up inside you, you need to get rid of the stale, moldy, stagnant stuff you've been living off. And Jesus saw straight to what was going on in her life. This woman was of no standing. She had nothing going for her. In Jesus' day, women couldn't divorce a man. Only men had that right. Therefore, when Jesus says she's had five husbands and was now living with a man that was not her husband, the implication is that she had been personally rejected by these five husbands. Can you imagine what that's done for her self-esteem and her confidence? It's possible that she was not the brazen hussy that she's been made out to be all these years. Maybe she felt rejected, alone, shameful. And she was going from man to man trying to find somebody that would just love her and care for her. This woman has had a life composed of one upheaval after another with enough husbands coming and going to keep all the gossips in the town talking for weeks. We assume that her various marriages ended in divorce and not with the death of her husbands. However, it may have been, of course, that she was an obnoxious, vicious harpy and the men divorced her because they couldn't take any more. Right? We don't know. But we make lots of assumptions about her and they're not all good. We don't know what traumas in her background may have made it hard for her to form lasting bonds. But she knew her life was in a mess and she knew that Jesus knew. I think sometimes God gives that gift to people. Insight into a person's life and situation. You might be talking to or praying for someone and a word or a phrase or an image comes to mind. And when you share it, the other person knows that it's from God. I've experienced that from, from both sides, for people praying for me and in praying for others. Some people I think are particularly gifted in that. 
but I think anyone can learn to be better at it. And so, over the next two Sunday nights, there's training to help us. But the woman's reaction to the revelation of knowledge by Jesus is a classic example of what anyone who's ever led in a church knows. You put your finger on a sore spot and immediately they go, oh, what about this? And from the very beginning of time, we've done it. Adam and Eve. Oh, it wasn't me. It was her. We, we deflect. We distract. We do all of that stuff. And so this is what she does. We think this mountain in Samaria is God's holy mountain. But you think yours is God's holy mountain. Which one is it really? She's kind of saying, well, do you know, nobody really knows. It might be yours. It might be ours. Well, I don't know, you know. The implication is we can't both be right. Maybe nobody knows. Maybe nothing is that straightforward. Therefore, maybe what I'm doing is not straightforwardly bad as everyone thinks. These distractions are often just excuses and not always relevant. God's claim on every human life is absolute and can't be avoided by questions about good and evil, which church to attend, how much worth or worse somebody is than I am, or or which mountain is best. In fact, the point of Jesus' mission was that from then on, holy mountains were neither here nor there. They weren't going to matter. What was going to matter was him. He is quite clear that the true and living God isn't contained geographically or architecturally. Oh, this is a bit much for the women. And she probably couldn't make much sense of the idea that true worship would one day have nothing to do with territory and everything to do with spirituality and truth. And so she tries a different tack to put Jesus off. She says brightly, oh, one day the Messiah will come. Why don't we wait until then and see what he says? It's kind of like a football player kicking the ball very hard towards their own goal, not realizing that the goalkeeper's not there. Because Jesus' response is, that would be me. I'm here already. Next week, we'll see the effect of that conversation on her and her community. But for now, just a couple of things. Jesus was willing to break the rules to bring life to someone. What rules might we need to break in order to bring life to other people? Then Jesus was willing to speak to someone that other people would ignore. Is there someone you have been ignoring or think just wouldn't respond to the message who actually needs to be introduced to Jesus? Well, we have an Alpha course coming up, a great opportunity to bring them along and to introduce them to Jesus. And last, if you have the living water of Jesus in your life, where is it overflowing to other people? Amen.